Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome to another episode of From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay. I'm sitting here with Daniel C. He is the author of a book called Space Maker, How to Unplug, Unwind, and Think Clearly in the Digital Age. It won Australian Business Book of the Year in 2021 and was a finalist for the Best Technology Book. And I'm really excited to have you on this podcast to talk about the role of space, how it comes into your life, how we all need more of it. Um, and I'm excited to talk about, kind of blend what you bring from the executive coaching world and what I bring from the psychological world on the role of technology and how it impacts other people. So Daniel, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Mark. This will be an interesting conversation. I'm looking forward to having this with you. I think it's going to be fantastic. Uh, so on the From the Ashes, we like to talk about the personal story first. So if we get a chance to know you, know where you came from, where the inspiration came for The Spacemaker. So, yeah. so can you talk about that, of what inspired you to write the book? Yeah, yeah. So I am a busy person, like you are, like many of us are. So I used to be a physiotherapist. I think you call them physical therapists in the States. I ended up in management, then leadership and project management, then started my own company, helping people with productivity. Uh, but I remember uh, reading this quote from Richard Bach, where he said, we teach best what we most need to learn. And I must admit, I've, I've written a book about being a space maker, because when I coach leaders and executives, and when I look at my life, you know, I've, I've got enough money, and I've got uh, opportunities, I've got plenty of information, if I need it, it's space that has been the wrestle in my life. So space to think deeply, and to rest fully, to reconnect and, and, and just be present with loved ones without feeling overwhelmed by work and email and you know social media and all the stuff that's in my life. Uh, just, just to, I suppose, space to examine the inner life and to live from the inside out, not the outside in. And so my whole life, I would say, particularly since I've been a senior leader, that's been my wrestle personally. And I've, I've had times when I've done better, <laughs> uh, times when I've done worse. And, and yet I've, I think because I'm so passionate about making space to be intentional and to live well, to live my life, not someone else's script, just because I'm running to stand still just to keep up, then, then that's very much shaped why I wrote the book. And a lot of my stories, you know, I suppose, are in the book about my burning out, uh, about what I've seen in executives who have been addicted to technology and and how we're losing the, the small amounts of space in our life right now, which makes such a big difference and how we might recapture that in a practical way. Yeah, there's a lot to dig into there. I want to take you back to the beginning, if possible, mm -hmm. right? These messages about being productive or busy all the time. You had a line there about living life for other people, right? Not for ourselves, not creating space for ourselves. I'm curious if that was a pattern either in your early life or something that came up as you entered into the world of business, where did you get some of those messages from? Hmm. Look, probably my earlier life. I, I remember when I was about 19 years old, I went to, well, I, I was involved in a leadership development program and we went to Vanuatu, but we, and, and I, I lived in a small village and I experienced village life and it really changed my paradigm of the world. 
but even before that, we had this one-year preparation period where we learned the language and we we did like the Enneagram and started to examine ourselves. We read scripture because it was a faith-based program and, and we just uh, started to understand culture and what it might look like to examine culture. And that was really helpful for me. And there was one particular part of that program where we had a silent retreat and I mean, I'm 19 years old, so I've never had a moment of silence in my life. And, That's right. uh, and, and I had a whole day of silence and it was so difficult to actually, I mean, I wasn't on technology back then. I'm 44 years old, so I didn't have like digital tech, but just even the idea of no people to talk to and, and just being quiet and to spend a day journaling and thinking my thoughts. And I found it quite painful because I had all these emotions and feelings that came up during that day. But, but it was also quite refreshing. And I suppose it just started me down the journey of, oh, actually, there's, there's value in space and time and thinking and reflection and quiet. Uh, and then in Vanuatu, we were forced to spend an hour a day uh, writing in a journal, reading some scripture and just reflecting on our experiences. And that really started to change how I saw the world. And I suppose it was probably the beginning of me becoming a, a self-actualized person. Uh, just sitting there getting bitten by mosquitoes in the stinking hot tropics, <laughs> trying to think and write. But, but it was really, it was formative for me. And I don't know, that's probably the, so I suppose I had this experience of space and how it felt and what it did in my life. And then, you know, 15 years later, when I was a busy leader and a coach and had a family and run, you know, building a house, I think I had something to compare my life with. And, and it was that comparison of what life had become like frantic and busy and digitally overloaded compared to that experience or that reference point when I was young and the value of reflecting in silence. Yeah, that's really well said. It's interesting that sharp contrast and even the fact that I think it's true for a lot of people that we need an organization to almost force us into space in the beginning. Because I know in American culture, I'd assume it's similar in Australian culture, there's this constant push to be either distracted or entertained all the time or be productive all the time, that it can feel very uncomfortable and unnatural just to sit. Absolutely. And there's quite a difference between the 1990s, which I was talking about, and today. Uh, you know, there was this American study from the University of Virginia, a guy called Timothy Wilson. And it's just, I like it because it's just an interesting study. I'm not sure how they got ethics approval, but he uh, got people into a room and he got them to sit for six to 15 minutes by themselves without technology. And the aim was to just help them reflect on their own thoughts. And he found that when reviewing uh, the data, people, um, the majority of people said they found a painful experience. They didn't enjoy sitting alone without technology with their own thoughts, which he thought was fascinating. So then he put them in like nice environments like their own lounge room and the experience was exactly the same. So it's something about, you know, what's happening in the inner life during those periods of silence and pausing. Uh, and then he wondered, well, what if I actually gave painful experiences to people? So he, he kind of zapped them with electrodes and uh, basically electrocuted them until they were to the point where they said, look, that was so painful. I would pay $5 not to have another zap. He put them in a room again and said, just sit for six to 15 minutes with your own thoughts. And, but, you know, and there's a zapping machine, but don't use it unless you really want to, I suppose. Uh, and he's found that 67% of men and 25% of women chose to give themselves painful stimulation rather than experience their own mind in, in silence. Oh, wow. And that's quite different than in the nineties in the sense that 
I think we've taken the little pauses in our life and we've filled them by reaching habitually for our devices, uh, whether it be Instagram or the news or share market or whatever is your kind of jam, wherever you get your identity from. And, and I think it's almost nowadays, if we're going to learn who we are and examine the inner life, we first have to start by carving out intentional space, by unplugging from technology in order to then experience the silence that I experienced in order to then move past that, where instead of it being painful, it's a, a delight and a joy because you've processed the emotions. You've reflected on the data in your life. You've, you've um, started to enjoy yourself in the good and the bad and the painful and the mess, but, but you've come to terms with, yourself and therefore you can enter the world as a more mature person but it starts by actually stopping instagram and and that's a new reality for us yeah i'm really happy that you're talking about that and talking about the pain that can come up first because i don't think people know about that and they often get really freaked out you know so a big part of my work is i'm I'm a buddhist practitioner and i meditate so very similar to you actually starting in a faith-based way to Mm. enter space through the meditation practice And when I did my first retreat, when I did my first sit, it was unbelievably painful. I was racked with anxieties, with fears. I would replay conversations over and over again to the point where I thought I was going crazy. You know, I'd have memories come from my childhood that I was like, oh my God, I don't want to go back there. Uh, Mm. Just kind of like my ego was just dumping all this stuff into my head. And yeah, I probably would have shocked myself too, you know, given the chance. Um, I certainly would have reached (laughs) for a phone if I had that opportunity, right? And just like go on Instagram or play a game or, or, or whatever it is. Um, so I'm curious for you in that, in your practice of space making, was there a tipping point? Was there a moment where all that junk started to clear out? And, and do you have a sense, if you can remember back then, what the junk that was coming to your mind was? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't think there was a moment. You know, I've had a number of moments. I like, uh, I was on a podcast recently. They asked me about my fence post moments. So there's a men's podcast. So it's a very blokey analogy, but there's a fence. And imagine that every fence post is a moment in your life that has significance and that has shaped you. It's probably more that there's just a ton of fence posts that have led me to be the person I am today, if that makes sense, rather than a kind of an, an amazing actualization moment uh but you know in terms of the painful stuff i mean my mom and dad uh got divorced and they were great parents and they loved me you know really well but there was some brokenness in the modeling in terms of marriage and part of being successful in my life is to to make create a marriage i'm i'm 20 years now and i'm more in love with my wife than i was 20 years ago which is great and we've got a family but so that's nice. a success in my life but that didn't just happen uh, particularly around my university and early 20s. There was a whole lot of pain and struggle trying to work out you know, what, what, who is a man and what does a man do and, and what might it look like for me to process some of what are the, the good and the bad. Um, there was particularly one moment I remember where I just, I think I was reading a Steve Bidoff book who writes about manhood and there was this aha moment and, I, you know, in psychology, you already know, you, everyone knows that your parents can screw you up and destroy your life. <laughs> but but it, was, uh, it was this realization that actually I had the power to damage my own family and my parents as well. Like it doesn't just work one way and that my behaviors and actions can psychologically impact them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that was a real wake up moment. Actually, that came out of a period of reading and reflection. And so it changed my I suppose, from a victim mentality, from a, oh, you know, my parents did this and I have to forgive them for that. And that stuff's really helpful. But it was also like, actually, I probably have to say sorry for things and own my responses within there, in that family relationship. And, um, and then hopefully 
observe other relationships so I can model my life a bit more on people whose marriages are the way I would like it and then learn from them and apprentice myself by imitation and setting myself up in those relationships. And uh, I don't know, that's just one area. That's probably not necessarily answering your full question, but there's just been lots of those types of things, you know, marriage, work, um, physical health was another big realization, actually a big change for me being a sick person to a healthy person which was a psychological process. I'm happy to talk about them, but I don't know what's useful for you and your audience. Well, thank you for sharing all that. What I'm hearing is that, and correct if I'm wrong, is that space lets you take a break and change the course of your life a little bit. Instead of it just being an automatic process, we're going from one thing to next to next to next. It sounds like you're able to use it to reflect and then make a meaningful course correct of being like, oh, hey, I have to apologize to my parents for some things. Or, whoa, I have more power here than I think I do. Or what kind of man do I want to be? It sounds like an incredible place for you to introspect. Yeah. I, look, I suppose it is introspection. Uh, look, I mean, again, I come, I come from a Christian uh, spirituality framework. And one of the key teachings that's been really helpful for me, for me from Jesus is he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Mm. Repent and believe the good news. And look, repent is a terrible translation the word is metanoia which means to change your mind that's that's literally what it means meta you know oh, big picture yeah. noia mind okay so so that's that's jesus key teaching in uh the book of mark and and then uh believe is actually pistol which means to change your behavior in response to your change of mind okay mm -hmm. and so so what i've really found so helpful is to recognize that uh, the time has come the word is kairos so it's not like tiktok chronos time it's like a, a fence post it's like there there are moments in time significant emotions you experience or events that happen uh or or things that are spiritually in your life if you have the eyes to see uh, and when those kairos moments come when the time has come and god's kingdom so the presence of god is right here around you well then you've got two things you need to do one is to let it change your mind so you reflect on your emotions and your feelings and what it means and 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 how you have to change your paradigm because of that new experience and the second thing is to then change your behavior and your actions in response to god's kingdom being near um i mean i hope it's okay to share some spiritual insights oh, from, fantastic. from no, scripture please, please keep going um, yeah. but but that is the path of what i would say is an, a disciple or an apprentice of jesus again disciple just means learner so um to, to be a learner or a pupil of jesus who lets their life be shaped is to allow the spiritual and everyday moments of life to pay attention to those kairos. Uh, and it could be you have an eye, you and I have a conversation and you say something, I'm like, wow, that, that feels uncomfortable or it feels really exciting or, or whatever, whatever that kind of fence post is every day. I, I I'm trying to learn to recognize them, to pause and have enough space to understand them let them change my mind, realizing that actually who I am today and what I think now is probably half false. <laughs> and so it needs to be shifted. Uh, and I, I try to align that for me with scripture because I still see that as my source of guidance. But then obviously you change your habits. And I think that's a process of self-reflection. That's how I see it from a spiritual perspective. Yeah, that was fantastically well put. I learned something new today. Um, I love the, the translation and looking at kind of the nuance of what that message is. So I, I wonder in your space, is there a prayer component? Is there a spiritual connection component to it? Mm, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a, I see myself very spiritual. Uh, I don't know. It's a really important part of my life to, yeah, to, to, 
to have silence, to pray, to reflect, uh, and to read scripture. And, and community is the other part. Uh, I'm deeply introverted, so I have the kind of contemplative practices, and that's been part of my experience. The other part of, I think, the other big picture part of who I am and making space is committing to do that in a community of people where we eat and learn and serve and and do life together on a regular basis because again you oh, you're a group practitioner you get this you know you can go so far by yourself but then you actually need to rub shoulders with people who annoy you and who have different perspectives different political views different religious perspectives and then you'll actually grow uh, and I think both together contemplation and community actually are expressions of how I make space if that's helpful that's very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we're in alignment on that. I do believe we all need each other and for support and also for challenge, which I'm happy that you brought in, right? To help clarify where we stand, to help deal with conflict resolution, to help you know deal with the challenges of life. Community is where I think people grow because it's so easy to be stuck in the echo chamber of our own life um, hmm. rather than being challenged by other people in our world. So Daniel, it's great. Uh, we're going to move towards our first commercial break here. There's a lot to talk about coming up. I want to hear more about the role of technology. I want to hear more about um, how you have brought it in. When we were scheduling this podcast, you shared with me that you do a digital Sabbath every, every week, which I think is a phenomenal practice. And well, I want to hear more about how you think people might start to disconnect from this over-technological and over-distraction world. So for our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Hold tight, and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to From the Ashes. We're sitting here with Daniel C. talking about technology, creating space, 
doing digital detoxes and being able to make space to be more contemplative and kind of have more control and influence over your own life, right? So, you know, Daniel, as, as you were talking, you talked about how with your business, you kicked into technology more. And that was true for me is growing up, I wasn't a big social media person. I wasn't a big technology person. I mean, I, I was kind of a nerd, so I played video games and things, but I wasn't in the hyper-connected world. But when I started my business, I really went in, and I think I went too far in, to social media. I was so tied to my email. I was, because that's where the client leads were coming from, right? I was constantly messaging everybody, quite frankly, from like a place of scarcity and not wanting to be poor and be a failure. And I really went way too hard into this technology world. And I'm curious if that was similar for you or, or what you would recommend for someone who is in a similar spot. Mm, yeah, look, I, I mean, I'm on, I'm online all the time. I mean, we're talking right now, half of my clients are in the US or in other places. Uh, so I'm constantly on Zoom. Uh, you know, I, I run a digital business. I've got email marketing and social media and, you know, all the stuff that just comes by running a consulting business. So in that mm -hmm. sense, you and I are very similar. It, it was a funny journey because the very first course that I ever ran was called Email Ninja, and it's still one of the most popular courses. I mean, I think we've got about 20,000 students now globally on it, and uh, it's basically how to get your inbox to zero. So it's a simplified email inbox processing course, and it works really well. But, you know, I accidentally found myself in the tech training space. Uh, I come from a habit change perspective. I, I have a business partner who's more tech savvy than I am. I suppose I ended up finding that I was in this space of teaching people how to do email, how to run online to-do lists, how to prioritize and then use different apps and programs. So I kind of became a consultant in the how to use digital tech space. That was my first area, but from a habit perspective rather than a purely like use this app in this way perspective. Uh, but then obviously in my own life, you know, the smartphone kind of came along and, and, uh, yeah, like like everyone else, I just became more and more absorbed in trying to work out how do you create you know, landing pages and marketing funnels and how do you build a digital business? And then obviously, how do you create clients outside of where I live? So yeah, I absolutely wrestle with how much I'm online, but it comes from that perspective of having thought about the processes of what technology means along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what would you say the relationship between technology and productivity is? Like, is there a sweet spot? Because it certainly helps us be more productive, but to a point, it becomes distracting and all-consuming. Oh, well, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. So I, I remember coaching a number of leaders. There was one particular person, um, and I noticed that they, they were really good with technology. Like, they had all the right apps. They even seemed to integrate them fairly well, and they were, they were really busy and ticked off lots off their list, but their team couldn't stand them. And they changed strategy so regularly that no one believed what they were saying. And they went from this meeting to that meeting and their phone was always on. And you just saw the kind of the cortisol levels, you know, they spoke fast. They were, they were ramped up in terms of their adrenaline and, and they were really living from the outside in. They just had lots of activity, but not much kind of reflection. And, and I just started to see that pattern again and again, that you can use a lot of technology and just be really unproductive. If, product, if, if productivity is defined not by doing lots of stuff, but doing, but getting the right things done. And so I started to go on a journey looking at the research of multitasking, sleep debt, and a whole lot of other productivity areas. And yeah, you're exactly right. If you imagine graphing productivity against digital technology, culture says that it's a linear graph. You know, the more tech you use, the more productive you'll be. But clearly that's not the case endlessly. Uh, 
it's not just that you plateau. There comes a point where you plateau and where more technology no longer gives you amazing benefits. It, it's just like the productive middle. But then if you imagine an upside down curve, an upside down you, well, that's the real relationship between technology and productivity that there comes a point where if you're reaching for your phone first thing in the morning and last thing at night, where you trade off so much of your time online that you reduce the capacity to, to spend time with people, which is really good for us, or to have silence, or to rest deeply, you know, to do those kind of human activities that actually help us really thrive. Well, then you enter what I call digital overuse, where more technology, more time online, uh, doing more stuff online for your business actually makes your business worse and it makes your health worse. It makes your happiness worse. The research in young people is definitely showing this and it's translating more and more into, uh, you know, Gen Xs, boomers, everyone, as we enter this digital overuse experience of life post-COVID. And so the key is to learn two separate skills. Uh, I call them the skills of keeping pace and making space. So on the left-hand side of that curve, you need to use technology and to use it really well to be productive, uh, to use the right apps, to, to develop the right processes and systems. So that's keeping pace. But, but then most of us are actually, the biggest problem we have is we're too overloaded. And it's a new set of skills. And the set of skills is to actually make space. So to unplug from technology in a rhythmical, deliberate way. To unwind, so that to to develop patterns where you're investing in practicing rest, because I'm convinced in today's age, rest is a skill. It's not something that just happens when you're not working, uh, and to think clearly within those spaces. And so, yeah, the, the book is really about how do you actually return from that overuse to the productive middle. But there's no like you, I can't say it's two hours a day or four hours a day of technology like. There are recommendations for young people, more than three hours a day of new media in, uh, let's say, teenage girls increases suicide risk factors by at least one, uh, increases anxiety and depression, like we're seeing this come out. Uh, but for adults, I, I just think we just have to monitor how we're feeling. If we're wired and tired, if we're moving from one thing to the other, if we can't sit still, we can't read a book without wanting to pull out our phone after 10 minutes, you're in digital overuse. And and that's where we might need to peg back our own digital habits. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the psychology word for that would be screen addiction, right? You get to a place where people are compulsively checking their screens, compulsively interacting with these apps, where there is a sense of anxiety that comes around with separation. And this has also been justified in research where if you separate people from their phones, they have similar anxiety of around um, being detached from a parent, quite frankly, right? Or missing a loved one. They start to really associate that as part of themselves. I mean, I'm sure you've also read the research on phantom vibrations, whereas if somebody has the, you know, the vibrator turned on um, with their ringer, if you take away their phone, they will literally feel the vibrations of text messages, notifications coming in on their leg, even though it's not happening. So it really starts to pattern into the brain in a very biological way. It's kind of, it's kind of creepy when you think about it. Well, look, and it, it, I think what you said is true. It, it patterns into your brain in a biological way. And this is where we really need to grasp this idea. I, I try to avoid the term addiction in my book because I think you know, there's definitely screen addiction. And then, then there's lots of different kind of gradings of that. And I think all of us are somewhere on the moving towards addicted side. And that's a challenge. And, and I give an analogy. 
where when I was young, I used to play the piano and my poor parents, I mean, they, they tried to make me play the piano and do like 15 to 20 minutes of practice a day. And it was like, I was in the gulag, do you know, it's like, no, 20 minutes of practice. And we used to fight for years, but eventually because of their persistence, probably more than mine, I, my brain changed, you know, I, I, with the repetitive practice, I could play Chopin and Mozart. And actually I could play some songs without even looking at the sheet music because the repetitive movements and practices changed the neurons in my mind, which is called neuroplasticity. Some areas grew, the music centers grew, and therefore I had these pathways that I could repeat again and again. Uh, I can't do that anymore, but I'm sure if I started again, it wouldn't be like I was starting from scratch. But, but what's interesting is um, the average American practices the internet 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they, they are on screens 12 hours a day, which means that you are inputting particular inputs, multitasking screen-based inputs, uh, fast moving messages and sound bites. You, you are, you are practicing the internet, just like you're practicing the piano. I mean, can, can you imagine practicing the piano 12 hours a day and how that would change your brain, your thinking, your functioning, your habits from the inside out. And um, no one would do that. That's ridiculous. But, um, I often say like the, the, the brain can't tell the difference between Outlook and Instagram. So if you're working on Outlook in the day and then you're resting on Instagram at night, you're, you're still using the same attention-rich, multitasking, distraction-based inputs on your brain and you're just kind of putting your neurons on hyperdrive. And it means, I mean, and the research says, you know, the anterior cingulate cortex, uh, you lose gray matter when you media multitask. And all of us are doing that now, which changes our mood regulation. It changes our ability to be patient, to tell what's important and not important. So quite literally, we are changing ourselves. And I don't say that to be like negative and um, you know, we use the internet and we practice so much because it's valuable to us, but we really need to broaden the neurological experiences of our mind in our lives. And it's where we, it's where we trade too much time online at the expense of all the other things. And therefore our brain shrinks in areas which are really helpful for us. And then we experience the, the side effects but, and the problem with this is uh, it's organic. So we can't really tell what's happening to us because it's an inside out thing. It's not like when you eat too much, you just, you clearly look overweight. Or if you spend too much, you clearly see that you're in debt. When you practice the internet too much without limits, it's an internal thing and you actually lose, you, you see the world differently. It's only when you experience being tired and wired and anxious and not able to sit still or think your own thoughts or, or be silent that it take you kind of have to see the symptoms and that takes a bit of time. It creeps up on you. Do you connect with that? I mean, you see, you treat people and you spend a lot of time with people. You must have experiences that I don't have. Oh, absolutely. Right. And my mind immediately goes to ADD or ADHD. Right. And it's just a big thing that is coming in the field now of, you know, when I grew up, right, I'm, I'm a millennial, so I grew up in the, in the 90s, it was overdiagnosed, right? And as we look more, there isn't, doesn't seem to be a very strong biological correlate for it. There doesn't seem to be a really a, a clear way to treat it as a symptom or a syndrome rather. Um, but there is a correlate with technology use and multitasking, right? And the question is, is something that someone's born with or develops, or is it just what you said from practicing multitasking or practicing the internet for 15 hours a day? 
And I tend to be on the side of like, yes, this is brain training where we would train towards scattered thought. We train towards taking multiple streams of information by taking them in poorly. We trained away from being able to sit in space and need to go for distraction or go towards stimulation all the time. Um, I'm sure that there, there certainly are edge cases where there is a biological or genetic component, but I would say most people on that spectrum, it is curable through kind of behavioral interventions, right? Through retraining the brain and quite frankly, detoxing from technology. And that's really, that's exactly what my book is about. It's saying it's not for kids, it's for adults. And it's mm-hmm. saying there is real hope. You just have to make it intentional. Uh, a guy called um, Chatsfield, uh, Tom Chatsfield basically said that time away from digital media is not only no longer our default state, it is also something we cannot experience without explicitly aiming to do so. So what he's saying mm-hmm. is that we're in a new age where the, norma, the normal everyday human is like a cyborg, like Elon Musk says, we're online. Yeah. And if we are to experience those neurologically rich experiences of life away from a screen, you know, climbing a tree, watching the beach, you know, I don't know, walking and looking at nature, just playing a board game or just enjoying a coffee without having to reach for something. We have to intentionally build those patterns in, practice them, learn to love them again, and then, and then allow our brains to develop those attention rich experiences. So they become easy and not hard, which is a really strange idea that we have to teach ourselves to be human, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, but that's where we're at. And, and I call that the space making practices and you can be very deliberate about that. Yeah, I think that's where we're at. You know, to share a bit about my journey through this is I make sure that I go backpacking as much as possible because I had these same things. Like I need to disconnect and be in nature, right? I mentioned to play video games. I now only play board games because I want to be like, I need to interact with, you know, analog things, right? Be in community, be with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, every year I do a retreat where I do a solo retreat. Um, I will do one month retreat in community. I do one solo retreat over the winter where disconnect from everything, right? Ideally 10 days, sometimes five, sometimes seven. But I'm curious if you experienced this or did in the beginning, the first couple days of that retreat, I go through withdrawal. Like I am depressed, I'm sad. Yeah, I feel like I'm missing out on things. I feel like really anxious and maybe I'm a little thick headed, but it wasn't until I had that withdrawal experience that I was like, whoa, this technology really has an impact on me in a way that I wasn't aware of previous. Mm. And by the end of it, you feel slower and stiller. Mm. You can notice things. I remember I did, I did a long retreat recently and by the end of it, I would just, I don't know. I was just really happy. I would, I would, I could look at a rock or just pay attention to the sky. And that was enough to keep me really, really engaged. And yet, I can't do that now. It takes a few days to to unwind enough to even start to enjoy space again. And I, I have a practice of a, a very similar, a five-day retreat, which I call a digital detox every year. So mm-hmm. it doesn't cost money. I just have, just disconnect and go somewhere nice and, and go through that. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, actually, this is nice. These feelings are horrible. Oh, actually, let me dream about my future. And then, you know, you walk back and you're like, oh, I'm me again. <laughs> Exactly. I think that's the big thing is I'm me again. I have that same feeling of like, I'm back to being a human. I'm back to being alive. My brain doesn't feel as like scattered and pulled in a thousand different directions. Absolutely. 
We're going to move into our final commercial break. When we get back, we'll talk directly to you, the listener, about some steps you can take if you want to move towards more digital detox, if you're looking to limit your screen time, or you're looking to actively rest. I like that you brought that up, Daniel, because I do think that is a skill. Um, we don't know how to active rest. We just kind of keep stimulating the same you know, neuronal patterns over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. So the great conversation so far. If you're listening, uh, hang in there, and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to From the Ashes. In our final segment, we talk directly to you, the listener, about how you might take some steps towards creating more space in your life. So, Daniel, I just want to start with you. What would you recommend to somebody who is listening to this podcast and is like, oh, my God, I have this problem. I need to disconnect. I want to bring more space into my life. Mm. I've been there. So uh, look, I would say start really small. Uh, I'm a huge believer that if you start small, just a small, a small bit of space that's done habitually can make a tremendous difference in your life. And then the, the little bit of space that you get will lead you to, to want more space and you build one habit on the other. Don't, don't kind of, I probably wouldn't say, you know, don't go for a five day retreat if you've never turned off your phone <laughs> and put it away. It's like that, that would just be too hardcore. Uh, there's two two ways we could go. I'll give you a few very practical tips. But before I do, I would say it's worth doing a bit of an analysis on your heart and emotions. And the easiest way to do that is pick a 24-hour period. So a Saturday or a Sunday and just go cold turkey. No devices, no screens, put it all away, turn them off and just experience the day and see, see, how, far, see how you find it. I mean, do you find it anxious? Do you find yourself nervous? Do you enjoy it? And there'll be different emotions. It's it's kind of like that kairos, you know, that that ability to 
to understand that moment in time and and let you, you know, the data to kind of experience to change your mind. So I'd, I'd say start with a bit of a just an experiment on yourself, and that gives you a sense of how addicted you are or how much you're dependent on it. Uh, because I think if you don't really, really believe in it, then you're, it's going to be hard to stick to the habits longer term. So that's the first thing you might want to try to do. Uh, but in terms of practices, uh, I'll talk about a few, but as a productivity consultant, I always look at annual, weekly and daily practices, whether it be to get productive or to unplug to be productive. But the harder habits are the higher level ones, like the annual and the day, weekly retreats. Uh, the, the daily ones are simple. So maybe start there. Some very, very simple habits are to recapture those six to 15 minute pauses without wanting to electrocute yourself. So I, I call them um, the daily pause in the book. And there's a number of them that are research-based. So one would be to start and end the day without technology. I think the way you begin and the way you end your day can really change the trajectory of your mind. And many of us finish the day, you know, I don't know, playing Candy Crush or scrolling some type of you know, social media, watching YouTube videos. Uh, and then uh, even if you're in bed with your partner, you know, you're having a relationship with your phone and not having pillow talk with each other. Uh, and then we start the day by reaching for our phone to you know, cut our alarm clock. And immediately I used to just reach for Gmail. That's, that's my jam. Or, you know, someone else reaches for something else. And, and you start your day with bad news with work, with worry, with consumer consumer adverts. Uh, and, and it really does change your mind. So uh, the mystics always say, you know, end the day with reflection. Think about the data in your day. Uh, pray, meditate, write in your journal. Um, or, you know, again, talk with people in your life disconnected. I like reading a book at the end of the day. I find that helpful, like a physical book, just to change my mind and then sleep well. And then at the beginning of the day, again, just I love to just lie in bed. And I, for me, I pray and I reflect. I practice thankfulness. I write in my journal uh, three things I'm thankful for. And, and I just mentally go through my day. You know, I'm going to talk to Mark. What might I talk about? What might he want to know about? You know, uh, I'm going to have a meeting here. Okay, let me think and pray about that. But it's quite a different idea starting with your own thoughts rather than what's happening in the Ukraine. And uh, so very simple habit. Charge your phone outside of your bedroom. Uh, don't don't allow that to be your alarm clock. I know that a huge barrier actually is the alarm clock thing. That's that's the barrier. You can yeah. buy a Fitbit or a Garmin where you can wake up with a vibration. Uh, you can get an old-fashioned alarm clock, although they are a little obnoxious. I've tried a few, and when you're used to waking up to some beautiful musical ring, and then you end up with you know, beep beep beep, it's pretty painful. But they exist. Uh, the, the best solution I'm finding is if you have an old iPhone or an old smartphone. Just use that with no data, no SIM, no apps. It still works exactly like your your other alarm clock. It's just doesn't it just doesn't have everything else. So it's like a thousand dollar alarm clock without anything on it. Uh, but that works anyway. So that's one practical tip: start and end the day with a daily pause. Uh, do you, shall I just give you a few more? Is that okay? Yeah, I'm just nodding along because I did that same thing, and the alarm clock was the biggest barrier for me. Um, yeah. And my therapist at the time was like, "You can buy an alarm clock." Like they, they have those. Um, yeah, I, I, I use a wake up light that kind of over time kind of slowly gets brighter and then nice. plays like some lovely tunes. But yeah, uh, keep rattling them off. It's yeah, great, it's, great. it's pretty great sad, content. isn't it? That we've been so conditioned to waking up to nice music that it's impossible to go back to the old, you know, 1970s <laughs> the screeching, alarm clock. beeping thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're so soft. Anyway, yeah. uh, what else? The, the another, another one is if you're a, 
uh, exercise. If you want to think deeply, uh, many of us exercise with podcasts and music and audiobooks, and I love that. I mean, I, I love that we can hear from experts around the world just for free all the time. But I found that it's it's a bit like eating too much. If you are always filling your mind with stuff, and every time you walk, every time you exercise, you're only inputting, then it, it's a bit like never exercising and only putting food into your mouth, you know. And so, uh, if if we want to be wise people rather than knowledgeable people, that requires the ability to reflect on the information you've received, how put it into context and to work out what your thoughts are and then actually even create new ways of thinking so you have your own ideas rather than just spouting off what Mark or I say. And and so for that, I find it really helpful to have one or two days a week where I exercise without music or podcasts or audiobooks uh, where I'm allowing myself just to be silent and think about what I've absorbed. Again, that's space-making. I think another practice for families particularly is eating together and the research around eating a meal together around a table without tech is just tremendous. Uh, If you have kids, it's pretty much one of the best things you can do for their long-term health and happiness. The longitudinal uh, longitudinal research says that like a 12 year old girl who eats regularly with their parents uh, will end up with less debt, less marijuana usage. They won't be pregnant as often, you know, less likely to be pregnant at 17 years old they'll have better college entrance scores, they'll end up having better mental health outcomes in adulthood. And those types of studies have been repeated again and again with this simple keystone habit of eating unplugged. Uh, even in for younger kids, their numeracy and their literacy scores go up significantly when they eat once a day around a table, not around a screen. And it doesn't matter what you feed them. So you can feed them like, I don't know, organic broccolini or $2 pizza from the supermarket and the outcomes are the same. It's all about the banter and the conversations because we are social beings and having face-to-face contact, warm-bodied relationships that are not digitally mediated uh, with the people you love is pretty much the best thing you can do for your health and happiness longer term. And we've lost that. So to have touch points like eating a meal together uh, or even driving together where you're not all putting ear pods in and you're actually talking on the way to school or back again those kind of habitual experiences of making space are quite significant over time and they're easy to do but you can lose them by filling them with digital space Uh, and and if you have no idea how to start and I'm really under no illusion to believe that most people do this I mean I was coaching a a group of leaders from America, from New York. They're all in their mid-20s. And I mentioned this idea of eating together without tech, thinking, oh, you know, this is a bit dumb that I'm having to tell people this. And one of the girls said, oh, I've just started to eat a meal with my flatmates every Wednesday. And it's so good. We have fun and we talk. And it's like we're in the 1950s. And then (laughs) everyone in the room said, wow, we should try that. I'm like, wow, I'm not in Kansas anymore. You know, so, so there is definitely uh, the need to remember and retrain ourselves to eat and to talk without a phone. Uh, so if you get stuck, ask, what is your high-low buffalo, particularly to kids? What's your high point from the day? What is your low point from the day? And what's a buffalo? So a random, interesting, funny thing that you might want to talk about. And those three questions are you know, beautiful and they'll open up a whole conversation and you're actually learning to do the Kairos moments. You're actually learning to reflect on a high. What's the meaning in that? The low, what's the meaning in that? And you talk about it. And so you're actually teaching people, kids, 
to actually have a self-reflective life in something as simple as that question. Yeah. So there's some daily pauses. I mean, again, it doesn't matter where you start, pick something and, and make some space. And then you move towards the, the weekly and the annual habits. Yeah. I love those suggestions. That's a lot of great information. And I like where you started with having that experiment of 24 hours to see how connected you are. Um, I want to add a little bit to that, which could be helpful is if you notice from a kind of screen addiction standpoint, if you notice that you walk around your house with your phone, if you literally cannot separate, that's kind of a red flag. Something to kind of mm. buy the book, understand more about it, disconnect. You know, I found it's helpful to have my phone have like a house. So for instance, it's here on my desk. It stays plugged in all the time and it doesn't go around with me, right? It stays in its home, right? Mm. In my office, um, which is another separate room. I find it's also helpful, something that kind of freaks people out is like go into a store when you're running an errand and leave your phone in the car, right? And notice what happens, right? If anxiety or fear comes up or if a feeling of disconnection or like losing an, a limb, right, comes up. Um, for me, my motivators have been around noticing how intensely connected I am to something to be like, I need to create some more distance here. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, Daniel, for other suggestions around active rest, you brought that up earlier in the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, okay, they've disconnected, right? They've created some space. How do they take advantage of that and do an actual rejuvenative practice? Yeah, look, this is a big, uh, big, that's a big question. And look, you can look at it in different perspectives, but let me talk about the, like you asked about the digital Sabbath. And that's, this is where I came to. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've looked at like all the different, well, all of it. I've looked at a lot of productivity research and different practices. And actually there's just nothing as good as the Jewish Christian Sabbath, particularly the way the Jewish people do Sabbath. And I'm not saying it needs to be a religious thing, but the principles actually of how they structure rest is actually quite remarkable. And I've, I think we can really learn from that. And a lot of uh, people like Judith Shulovitz are actually suggesting we actually need to relearn from the principle of Sabbath, even if we're not religious. And the, the thing about uh, the idea of a, a day of rest, that's what it is. You know, I mean, Sabbath is a day of rest and worship, but it's, it's about resting the, the soul and resting the, the body in community, okay? And to do it very intentionally and very structured. And I think that's actually really, really wise. But I get people to ask the question, you know, if you, if you were to actually have a day that was dedicated to rest, which is not the same as running your kids around to like a million different events and doing housework and fixing up jobs and doing the shopping, you know, I'm talking about an actual planned day, then you have to ask the question, well, what is work for me and what is rest for me? Because when you ask the question, what is work? I'm a knowledge worker. My work is often done in my mind, right? And I type and swipe and I use a screen and I communicate online. That's what I do for work. And then I go home, let's say my day off, I used to do the same thing, but it just wasn't using the same apps. I would still be swiping and typing and looking at my screen and, and watching videos. And do you know what I mean? Like, and so the brain never gets a neurological rest. I never change the pattern of what rest is and work is. And therefore I don't feel emotionally and spiritually refreshed when I go to work on Monday. So you ask to ask what is work? Then you need to ask, well, what is not work? So um, what is rest? Uh, and for me, that means therefore I have to turn off my phone for a day a week because phone equals work. It's what I do for work. It's like if I was a gardener and then I rested by gardening, it's dumb. Does that make sense? Uh, and so yeah. it's not that I'm anti-tech. I'm actually, I just want a day of rest. I want a full day where I broaden my neurological experiences and experience a wonderful, rich day of rest. Uh, and in my book, uh, and also you can get free downloads on my website. 
I talk about the principles of the Jewish Sabbath and how to apply them in different contexts. So how to set a full day aside, how to plan and prepare your house so that you can actually rest, how to uh, create a ritual where you flip from work mode to rest mode. Uh, they like candles, they pray, they sing songs and they have wine, but there's something very beautiful about a, a deliberate flip. So I, I'm now on my digital Sabbath. Uh, and then, and then what do you not do? So how, how do you not work? How do you disconnect? But then most importantly, what do you do? And for me, I mean, I chainsaw wood and I do physical work on Sabbath because that's restful because it's completely the opposite to doing what we're doing now, sitting on my butt, talking to someone in America. Does that make sense? Like, so, so to rest means for me to be physical and active, to play board games, et cetera, et cetera, to hang out with kids. Uh, so anyway, I mean, I just would encourage people to go on a journey to develop patterns in their life where they know what work is and what rest is. And then over time as introverts and extroverts build those patterns into their lives so that their rest becomes more restful. So they experience deep rest and, and that's a game changer for life. Uh, there, there's a kind of well, brief ish explanation, but hopefully there's enough to go with. I think it's great. Yeah. And just to kind of underline what you're saying is that active rest means doing things that are outside of your work roles, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't just mean laying on the couch and looking at a screen, right? Watching TV all day. It can be very physical, right? For me, it's hiking all day or it's painting or it's doing things that are outside of my norm. Um, so Daniel, we are at the end of this episode. It went by so quickly. I'm curious if you want to learn more about you, more about the book, more about your work, where can they find you? Yeah. So look, I'd love you to check my website out. It's the hub for everything. So spacemakers.com.au, the AUs for Australia. Uh, please pick up a copy of my book on Amazon or listen on audio, uh, Audible or, or grab an ebook. I'd, I'd love to, uh, ex you know, for you to read these ideas in more detail. And look, we coach and train leaders around the world using Zoom. Uh, I have three-hour courses on how to get your inbox to zero. So Ema Ninja how to become a list assassin and get things done uh, or how to make space, uh, the digital wellness stuff that we're talking about now in terms of unplugging as a habit. So I'd love a 15 minute call or for you to connect with me uh, on zoom. We're really not that disconnected, even if we're on the other side of the world now. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining. And please, if you're listening, um, giving us a five-star review on iTunes really helps sharing this podcast with somebody who needs to make more space in their life is really helpful. Um, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week on another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same. <laughs>